You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So I have a fun one for you this week. It is all about FKTs, otherwise known as fastest known times. FKTs have been around a long, long time, but they got thrust into the spotlight during the pandemic because suddenly there were no races, events got shut down, and FKTs provided an outlet for people to challenge themselves in the outdoors. Essentially, an FKT is just a run or hike, or in some cases, a bike ride along a very challenging route. The White Rim in Canyonlands, Utah is a good example. People like to run the rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon as an FKT. There are dozens of them, and you can make up your own as well by following the guidelines on the FKT website, which I'll include in the show notes. The objective, as the name implies, is to set an unofficial record for completing a route, which could be a single day, it could be multiple days long, in the shortest time possible. And as you might guess, in many places, FKTs are set mostly by men. And well, this week's guests, Terry Smith and Dana Katz of Women Who FKT, have taken it upon themselves to change that. And that experience has been transformational for them. Not too long ago, Terry Smith thought she was done. She was once an ultra runner. She found herself, in her words, as she approached her 50th birthday, falling apart. And she just figured that her running days were behind her. And then she meets Dana Katz, the owner and coach of Ultra U in Portland, who also coaches with women who FKT, and she finds herself embarking on a massive adventure. She and another woman who FKTs, Stacy Lee, took on the Olympic Peninsula Traverse on the Pacific Northwest Trail in Washington just this past August. That route is nearly 190 miles long and includes a staggering 26,000 feet of climbing and a fair amount of technical terrain, as well as the ability to read the tides. You get the idea. It's tough. The duo finished the route in six days, five hours, 52 minutes, and 30 seconds. This conversation was an absolute joy and incredibly inspirational. Both Terry and Dana are also super open and honest about their own rocky journeys through perimenopause and what being involved with Women Who FKT has done to help them along the way. I will put links to Terry and Stacy's FKT, as well as all the FKT sites in the show notes. So you, if you find yourself inspired as I did, have all the information you need to do your own FKT at your fingertips. All right. In case you missed last week's show, and if you did, I highly recommend checking it out because it was with orthopedist Dr. Vonda Wright, and she explains orthopedic procedures better than anyone I have ever spoken to. But anyway, Dr. Vonda Wright has also offered to host a retreat with us down at her amazing orthopedic facility in Lake Nona, Florida. So this February, the weekend of the 24th through the 26th, we will be offering the first ever Feisty Menopause Performance Retreat. 
The retreat will include two nights at Lake Nona Wave Hotel, dowry motion analysis, private strength and conditioning sessions, educational sessions, and a private feisty menopause DECA event, which is a fun, non-competitive hands-on training and performance session that we'll do on Sunday. This is our first time doing anything like this, so we're keeping it small, spaces limited to 20 to 25 maybe participants. If you like the idea of a spa vacation of a different variety, this is definitely for you. You can check out all the details at feistymenopause.com. I will put a clickable link in the show notes as well. Quick reminder, and it's coming up fast, we have our Hip Play Not Pause Virtual Summit on December 3rd. That includes talks on hormone therapy, injury prevention, uh, fueling for performance and for everyday life, pelvic health, and more. Tickets are only 20 bucks, and you can watch the replays anytime. So no excuses. Head on over, buy your ticket at feistymenopause.com right now. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. As always, I invite you to follow us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. Sign up, please, for my weekly blog at feistymenopause.com. And continue to share the show with your friends and on your socials, rate it and review it on your podcast platforms. It helps the show to continue to grow and other women to find us. Quick thanks to both NutriSense and Inside Tracker for their continued support of the show. NutriSense has taught me a ton about how diet and sleep and stress impact my glucose levels, which is something that have always been a little tricky for me. And Inside Tracker has given me a complete picture of my blood metrics over the past five years. And I just got my blood drawn this morning, and I'm anxious to see the impact of some of their latest recommendations on my blood work. So stay tuned for that. And just again, thanks both Inside Tracker and NutriSense for your continued support of this show. All right, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the interview. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, 
plus even more cutting edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice-cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the Otter is stuffed, with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter's taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match. And then use the code hit play, all caps, one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. All right. Well, Cherry and Dana, it is really awesome to have you both here. I, you know, my podcast uh, producer, Carrie, brings me so many amazing guests. So she brings so many guests to my attention. I have to thank her. And you both are definitely among those. So let's start with you, Terry. I know that you are a photographer and you have experience as a race director. And of course, we're going to talk all about the FKTs. But tell us a bit about how you got here? Like what's your running history? So I actually started out as a soccer player and I, yeah, I played soccer for 30 years um, before. That's longer I, than most. Right. Um, so before I actually really started thinking about myself as a runner and it's kind of funny, people that uh, have uh, emailed me a lot will notice I have a soccer Terry and, an, and a runner Terry email and I've kept both of them. Um, but like it definitely was a transition I, I made. And I'd say that transition started um, when I after I ran my first marathon, which I did in 2007. So I was 35 years old. And it was such a like terrible and wonderful experience all at once that when I finished, I was like, oh my gosh, like 
I, I really love running. Like it is really important to me and something I really want to center my life on. And so like in that period, then, you know, that was um, the early days of social media. And there was a, a website called Daily Mile that you can mm. make friends on. It's kind of it's kind of like uh, Strava now. And I really got into that. And like you know, I was just interacting with people all the time about running and doing all of these things um, with running. I was writing about relays like Côte de Coast. And so in 2010, I was like, you know what? I don't want to play soccer anymore. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt, and then I won't be able to run. And uh, I that's when I kind of transitioned and really started thinking of myself as a runner. Um, and about that time, I picked up a book called Ultra Marathon Man by Dean Karnazes, which I think all ultra runners probably have read at some point. And like everybody else, I was like, okay, this sport where you like get a, you can order a pizza, like in the middle of the run and eat a pizza. Like this sounds like something for me. Um, and uh, a year later, I ran my first 50K, the Gorge Waterfalls 50K here in Oregon. Um, and I was like totally hooked. I was like, I love the trails. I love that these are these long efforts. I love this community. And I just kind of went full board into that. Um, I ran more 50Ks. I ran my first 50 miler um, in 2012. So age 40. And I was ready to go. Like all my friends came from this, you know, like all of a sudden I was just hanging out with all these people doing all these really amazing things. And I was ready to do them myself. I was like, I'm going to train for a hundred miler. I'm going to do all of these things. And I, you know, started working on that and then everything kind of hit the fan. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but that's kind of how I got to this place of being in this ultra running community and wanting to do all of these things. Um, and then, yeah, having having life hit me straight between the eyes. <laughs> all right. Well, and that we will get to that <laughs> for sure. That is that is awesome. Uh, super quick, like what was, was the, was the marathon, like just a bucket list thing? Like, you know, how, what position did you play in soccer and how do you go from like soccer to like, I'm going to run a marathon or, besides like, maybe it's a bucket list thing. Well, so I was a center midfielder, which is like the position in soccer runs. And, um, that was always, I was never a really fast soccer player. I was always slow. Um, so for me running kind of made sense. And it was something I was doing. I was doing it for training, but I'd also realized, um, like even in college, that it was really important for my mental health. So I'd always been doing it, you know, just as part of like training regimen and keeping in shape. Um, it just was something that was more on the side, though, than than like the main thing I focused on. Um, that makes sense. To yeah, that that terrible. Sense. Yeah, terrible marathon. So. <laughs> Everyone's first marathon is like wonderful and terrible. <laughs> That's the story of it. Right. So Dana, now you um, are coaching Terry, correct? Is that your? Yeah. Yes. Um, and you are a certified running coach and ultra runner yourself. And how long have you been in that? So I have been an ultra runner since 2008. I say I'm a recovering triathlete. I was a, not an athlete in high school, but always had a lot of energy and then started swimming and I was biking and running and people were like, well, why aren't you doing a triathlon? And I was like, I don't know. Cause that's what other people do. And then I started doing it just for fun. And then, um, doing triathlon introduced me to people who did trails. And I was like, that sounds like less equipment and way more fun. And so that was the transition back in 2008. And I, um, have sometimes messed up and train and, and signed up for a, a triathlon, but I'm mostly doing running. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So let's, let's move into this world of FKT, which for people who are not familiar with that is known is fastest known time. It's a, um, 
Well, I'll let you guys to explain. Dana, explain what fastest known time, what, what that whole thing is about. Sure. So in running, well, and in biking, but let's talk about it in running. In mm-hmm. running, there's a phenomenon, I guess you could say, called the fastest known time. And it is where people are designing routes and putting up times that are to them the fastest known time. So this is not just something that's on Strava, which that is one place that they're happening. But there's a full website, fastestknowntime.com, where people can submit routes to be um, approved. And then people are running these routes. So there's routes that people may have heard of, like the Grand Canyon Rim to Rim. That's a big one that people do. And elite runners go after those times. But then there's also sort of the local trails that are really cool spaces that people are submitting as routes. And then other people come to put down their fastest known time. So it's not like doing a race. You can go out anytime and do it. You can discover these routes on the fastest known time website, but it's something that's sort of open to everyone um, and has been sort of coming up for sure in the last couple of years, especially with the pandemic without races happening. So yeah, a hundred percent. So then let's move over to Terry and talk about how you got into fastest known time. You know, we chatted a bit offline and you said, and I quote, I thought it was broken, you know, and before you got into this and then, and uh, I looked it up and in trail Mon- trail runner magazine, you had made a very similar statement where you said I had just turned 50. I was kind of thinking that my running was maybe behind me. I think the last few years were really tough as I went through perimenopause. Oh my God, I'm falling apart. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to do this again. Um, and then you got involved with this project. You know, like, so how does that happen? Gosh, um, it, it was a roundabout journey and, uh, the end part getting involved happened because I was out training with Dana one day we were out hiking and she was telling me about this project that our friends were putting together this women who have KT project and where I was at at the time um, I was I was starting I think I was starting this like process like this whole journey of coming back to understanding like I can still do things um, that started with Dana and cross-country skiing which I'm sure we'll talk about Um, but at that point I was still like thinking that while I was finding some success and being able to cross country ski and things like that, that probably an FKT was still beyond me. So I was ready to jump in as the helper because I got really comfortable being on the sidelines of ultra running, um, doing race photography, um, helping out with ham radio, volunteering. And I was, that is the role I was really comfortable in. So when I heard this project was starting up, I was like, oh, let me help. I can help with, if somebody, if you guys need, you know, photos, I've got, I've done stuff with social media. Um, I've got some, you know, media contacts and I, I'll just like do some background help. And, and that'll be as far as I get into it, because again, I have this whole story about myself that like an FKT though, is not for me. That is for people that are really great runners. That is for people who, you know, just are at a different place in their lives. And I, and my days have kind of passed me. And so that's kind of how we, how I started into this project was thinking that I would just do some stuff behind the scenes. But let's rewind that and say, why, like, why, did, why weren't you, why were you on the sidelines all of a sudden? And, and why did you feel broken? And what was, what was behind all of that? Okay. So like I said, like, so I, you know, I'm in 2012, like I'm turning 40, 41 and things are going really well. So then in 2014, I had my first, I will call it an incident. And I was, I had been working for a local race company and we had been working all week, um, 
and things have been really stressful. And we were running a relay in Reno, Nevada. So I am running the last leg of the race. And I just had this, I would call it a breathing incident. I didn't know what's happening. I couldn't breathe. Um, and it was really, really scary. And I, that was in the middle of the run, but I was able to finish and I crossed the finish line. And it had to happen again. And so I went and saw the medical people and my lips are blue and they put me on oxygen and they're like, well, you should, you should go to the ER. We don't know what's happening. So I go to the ER and they check me out. They're like, well, it's probably asthma, put me on prednisone. Um, so I get home and I go see my doctor and get checked out for asthma, did kind of like an exercise stress test. And she's like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I don't see anything wrong with you, but here's an inhaler, like whatever. So at this point now I'm like, uh Oh, like that's really weird and like troubling. Um, and so maybe like, maybe I shouldn't run so much. Um, but I'm like, okay, I still have things I'm supposed to be doing. So I go to another race a couple months later, this time I get heat illness and I end up in the medical tent and I had had another breathing incident, um, during that. And, um, then I had like all kinds of cramps and just all the regular heat exhaustion stuff. So then I'm like, oh man, like, that's not great. Like <laughs> something is probably wrong with me, but I don't know what. And it just continued. So the next couple of years I'm trying to train, but I'm not getting the results I used to get. I trained the same way. And then I, I just couldn't perform the way I had been performing. Um, and I, every, I was doing 50 Ks, they were getting slower and slower. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, I'm pretty sure like something has to be wrong. And you know, when you start believing that story, when you start thinking that you find all kinds of evidence of why you're right about it. So I'm finding all kinds of things. Like I'm looking at my watch going, you know, oh my gosh, like my watch says I, my heart rate is 60, but I'm going up this hill and I clearly not, it's faster than that. But instead of thinking like something's wrong with my watch, I'm like, well, there's probably something wrong with my heart, you know, like, you know, you start doing those kind of things. Right. And, but, but I never really, could figure like I couldn't ever get any answers if I went to the doctor. So 2016 was a really, really hard year for me. And I had during a 50 mile, I just decided like, I just stopped. I just dropped. I was like, you know, what? I don't even want to do this. And I was just at a low point. And so I was like, okay, what can I do? Like, I want to do something to give myself some confidence back. So I decide I want to go on a solo backpack. I'm going to just go for one night and I'm going to go up to a place I already know. And I just need this for myself. Like I need to just show myself I can go do this. So I got to go out on my solo backpack. And I remember it was a really hot day. It was um, really humid. And it was a climb up to where I was going. And I just couldn't go. I was just taking like I take 10 steps and have to rest. And I'm like, Oh my God, like what is going on? I'm still like, I'm still training really hard. And I remember I sat down on a rock. I was like, okay, I'm going to just take a break. The next thing I know, I'm like, wow, like I was really tired. I can't believe I took a nap. And then I'm kind of like waking up. Right. And I realize I'm like laying on my ground and I have my backpack on and my head hurts and I have fainted off a rock and I don't know how long I was out. So now I'm like terrified. I'm like, oh my gosh. So, you know, I book it home. I like turned back and I went back home and I'm like scared now. Cause I'm like, okay, so now like, look at all these data points, like stuff is so messed up. So I go to my doctor and I get a cardi, you know, go to cardiology, get a workup. They're like, we don't see anything wrong. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Seems normal. You probably just had syncope, whatever. And now I'm like, oh my God, like, like, I just, I just, you know, I can't shake this feeling. And so, and I continued training 
and I keep, I have heat, I get heat problems all the time, every time I go out and then I get this, this weird breathing problem and that I can't figure out what it is. And it was just really, really confusing. And I have to say at no point, cause I was like 44, 45 at no point am I thinking this could be perimenopause. Right. Cause I'm thinking that happens like when you're 60, like that's literally what is in my mind is like, you, you know, I'm, that's just not even a thing I'm considering. And so, yeah, I just kept building up all these reasons of what was wrong and I couldn't get past them at all. And uh, so I, yeah, I was really starting to tell people like, you know, I'm probably just going to hike short hikes. I'm probably going to be on my paddleboard and running is probably, you know, not anything I'm going to do anymore. I did my last race in 2017. I did a 30K and it just was terrible. And I was like, going into 2020, I was figuring I was just kind of done with everything. How did you find your way out? Well, it was a really interesting process. So in 2020, or it was like really early, it was like January. I don't know how we got on the topic, but Dana ended up inviting a bunch of us to go cross-country skiing with her because she was preparing to ski across Finland. And you guys are friends. Yeah, we were friends. Yeah. But we were just really getting to know each other um, at that point because I like I knew who Dana was, but she was like legendary. Right. And she did all these really cool things. And and so it was so exciting when we started skiing together and cross country skiing. I'd never tried it before. And I just fell in love immediately. As a side note, I will say I was training my butt off. And Terry's like, let me try this thing. And she put on skis and was like, no problem keeping up with me, which was both annoying and amazing because then I had a ski partner. (laughs) Right. But so, but actually having that success, having something athletic finally go right was like the first time that I allowed myself to maybe consider that, um, like that I was maybe okay. And so we started training together and, you know, COVID year was weird, but the next winter we really started doing some cool cross-country stuff. So we went up and skied at Winthrop, Washington, which is an amazing cross-country ski destination. Um, And we skied 80 miles in a weekend. And I was like, holy crap. Like I just did that. Like, you know, we were skiing six and seven hours a day and I didn't have problems, but I'm still thinking, well, it's just because it was cold. Like that's all that it is or whatever. Um, but it was amazing. And then she uh, suggested, let's ski around Crater Lake. And I don't know, Dana, if you want to talk about skiing around Crater Lake, what that was like, or why we did that. Well, yeah, I mean, what's amazing. So Crater Lake is generally something people do in three days during the winter, uh, um, two night overnight. Um, the thing about that is it's really hard to get a window for that, both when you're working and to line up with good weather. So I sort of thought about it. If the ski days are six or seven hours, if we put those together, we've both done things for, you know, I don't know that just like for an ultra runner mind seemed like, of course we could do that in a day and no big deal. Right. So let's like not worry about all the gear and let's just go for it. So we did worry about the gear. Sorry. We had a lot of safety gear, but anyway, so, um, Terry had been probably skiing a year and a half at that point, but I knew she could do it. So I was just like, let's go. Cause I definitely didn't want to do that by myself. And so keep going, Terry. Yeah. So, I mean, we went out and it's back country. There's nothing out there. Um, we had our skinny skis with no edges and there's avalanche areas and like all these things that just made me like really scared to do it. And then we did it and it took us 17 hours. Um, but it was that moment for me that really at least allowed me the hope that I could actually maybe do harder things, 
but I was still like I said very much focused like well it, you know it has to be in the winter like it has to be cold or something um, but it was just that it gave me that boost of confidence to actually start trying harder things and so after that you know Dana and I started training and that's when Dana really started sharing resources with me and I got to say, like, Dana is amazing. She finds the coolest resources to bring. Um, she's got this, like, amazing newsletter that just every week there's just something cool about it. But I know it, it was at that point when we were training after that that she mentioned to me, she's like, have you heard of, you know, Hit Play, Not Pause and Stacey Sims and her research? And I was like, no, I haven't. And I started listening. I listened to, like, the first couple podcasts you guys recorded. And um it is funny. So the light bulbs start going off, but I should say that my last period I actually had had was, had been in June of 2020. So at this point it's almost a year. And like, it, this is the first time that I'm like, wait a minute, right? Like, oh my God. And so I'm reading about anxiety and how anxiety gets so bad. And I'm like, those breathing issues. Oh my God. I was having panic attacks that, Damn. you know, it explained like that. And I had been having, um, I'd had a lot of uh, like nighttime panic attacks, like sleep, like I was calling them night terrors, but those had been really bad during that whole period. And it was like, all of a sudden, all these pieces start falling together. And I, it, and I was like, how did I not know this? I should call the show that there's so many times <laughs> I hear that so often. How did I not know this? <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. And so I think that, you know, so it was like that cross country skiing and that, um, you know, that adventure and then our friendship and talking about these things and hearing your podcast and stuff that, that when, you know, the women who have KT thing started, of course I defaulted to being a helper. But I don't think it was more than three weeks after me committing to the project that Stacy Lee, who is another part of that project, asked me to join her on the FKT that we ended up doing. And I said, yes. And that's when I was like, Dana, I need help. <laughs> so, so that is all amazing. Before we sort of move into that, um, so you are officially post, you are in your postmenopause at yeah, this post point. Menopause, yes. I am. And, yeah. Two years already. Yeah. Did any of those um, symptoms persist? I mean, have you, are you sort of through that? Like some of the stuff that you had experienced, whether it be those panic attacks or the stuff overnight or, you know, heat issues, any of them? Do you still, are you still contending with any of those kind of I'm symptoms? Still, yes. I still contend the heat, like I mm. am a furnace all the time. That is still an issue. And that was something actually that we really had to figure out how to manage during the FKT. The panic attacks, I will still get them sometimes when I'm running, when I push myself, like when, you know, I'm pushing myself really hard, but I know what they are now. And I have figured out like what I need to do for them. Um, but like the, the ones at night, like the sleepy ones, those are thankfully have gone away. Um, not having my period. So one of the things that was confusing is that my period was just super, super heavy right up till it stopped. I would go like, I would be like 15 days, 16 days and be getting another one. So I think I was like, my iron levels were already, were always low and they have, have improved and recovered and are more at a normal level. And that's helping a lot with like the power um, because I would be out with Dana and be like, I can't get up this hill. Like it was, it was so weird and it didn't matter what I did. Um, so that has improved. And then I think changes that we've made in my training have really helped 
with a lot of those things too. So I'd say I'm still, I still have some of the stuff, but so much of the like swings of the uh, hormones seem to have settled down. Let's talk a little bit about that training um, before we talk about this actual event. So Dana, did you have any insight or, or inklings that some of what she was experiencing might've been hormonal at this time? Like what made you suggest some of these resources to her? Just her age, of course. And I, <laughs> I mean, I knew that um, there's such a cluster of symptoms for perimenopause that I don't know what else to think about because when women are talking about this increased anxiety and the heat issues, I mean, it just sounded obvious, but, um, you know, I don't know, but that seemed like a good place to start. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And are you in any of the transition period yourself? I'm in the ring with perimenopause and right now perimenopause is winning, but I hate losing. So stay tuned. <laughs> so what are you experiencing? If you don't mind sharing a bit? Yeah. So I, this summer I was training for a stage race, which was supposed to be just a couple weeks ago in the Alps, which I, um, had to pull myself from, um, basically on my, you know, flat route out the door from my house paved, you know, easy. My pace went, was basically kind of in two months turned to like 90 seconds slower per minute. I mean, that's significant. So I was running at, you know, 11 minute miles, feeling like I'm running at 5k, um, my long runs, which, you know, I, it's normal for me to do a four hour run at least once a week or twice a week. I was getting to the point. I could not finish them. I was walking. Um, they were getting slower each time. It was like, I was going to the bank to get money, but every, I was never recharging right? The bank never had more money. So I was just running out. Every single run was making me a worse athlete. And it was so frustrating. I mean, the biggest thing was, I mean, looking back, of course, I mean, I wasn't sleeping very well at all. Sleep was horribly affected. I might be able to fall asleep, but then I'd be up in the middle of the night for a lot of the night and months of this. And so trying to train at a high level and then not being able to do that. Um, those were some of the big ones, but that like tingling weird skin that was that, I mean, I'm still having, I'm still having these things. I'm sort of working through all of this, but I had to totally stop running. It was just not going anywhere and it felt kind of like overtraining. And so it seems like potentially it's a combination of, um, it's, I mean, I let it, it doesn't feel like you can say overtraining when you're not training too much, but I think that you have to, for me, I had to rethink about it in that even though it didn't seem like it was too much, it was way too much for the amount I was sleeping. So there's zero chance of having good recovery when you're not sleeping. So for me, the running was so terrible. So then I was adding in more things like lifting and swimming because those were making me feel good. But then I'm just adding more time in. And even when it's low, um, low heart rate, it still was too much for the amount I was sleeping. So there was no recovery. So it's sort of like under recovering versus to me, that's it feels exactly like it. calling it under recovering versus overtraining. So that is, um, so that's where I am. So right now I'm in a way reduced, uh, state of running and we'll see how it comes back. But yeah. Have you pursued anything for the sleep issues? So for the sleep issues, I'm starting tracking my sleep with a whoop and I have been experimenting with some supplements, but also with CBD as well, which seems like 
or CBN actually. And that has been pretty helpful. Um, I'm cut out alcohol. I don't drink caffeine. You know, I'm doing all the things, which is kind of annoying if we want to talk about that, (laughs) like all the sleep hygiene things when I hear, if I hear more about that, I just want to punch someone because you can do all the sleep hygiene things and still not sleep well. And that is so annoying because it makes it feel like it's like a moral failing. And as someone in perimenopause, these are hormonal changes and it's not because I'm bad or I looked at my phone. So now I can't sleep. That is very <laughs> frustrating, right? Like I'm not doing that. <laughs> so, yes. Anyway. Believe me. I know. Like even when I write some of that stuff, I'm like, my Lord, I'm not going to write this one more time. Like if, if all is well, you can fall asleep with your phone in your hand and it hits you in the face and wakes you up. Right. Yes. I mean, it's all. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I know there's people who could do a better job at sleeping, but like I'm doing all the things I wake up and I go out and I look at the sunshine. Thank you. <laughs> and then I go to bed and I look at the sun coming down and I don't have my phone in my room and it's quiet and it's cold and I'm still awake. So anyway, thank you, Perry Menopause, for that all the time. <laughs> I, I love that. And thank you. Thank you. I mean, for all of that, the, the CBN, <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned that because when I did the sleep episode with Dr. Matsumura, it was a few weeks ago, she mentioned, you know, like a lot of people, I myself being one of them, do you CBD? It's mostly for the anxiety piece. So I'm not waking mm-hmm. up. Um, but CBN is starting to like sort of gain traction and might surpass that uh, for sleep specifically. So that's interesting to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So at the place where I purchased it. I mean, they have one product out of all of the offerings that have CBN, but it does seem like the the person talking to me about it sounded like this is getting more and more traction for sleep. So something for listeners to try if it's. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I'm agnostic on hormone therapy. I don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't you say everybody should take it. I don't say nobody should take it. I think it's a great tool, you know, and I think that, you know, for sleep, there is something to, if, if it continues to be super disruptive in your life, it's certainly worth yes. looking into that too. So I'm working with a naturopath, which has been great. And that seems like that's the next step. It's like yeah. getting in those hormones. If because the sleep is everything that. like you're discovering, right? I mean, it is everything. It's the big domino that affects like so many of those other things. Yes. Yes. I mean, I was waking up. I mean, I feel since I stopped training, I don't wake up angry anymore. That's amazing. Um, for someone who's a really sunny personality, wake up angry. I wake up in rage every morning. And then I look at the sun and I'm still in a rage. Well, it's really weird to feel like your personality is totally different, totally, right? I mean, totally. You ask someone to describe me, I don't, angry would be at the bottom end of the list. And so I'd wake up angry, then I'd be angry about being angry. And that is so does not make you happy. So anyway, be dropping the hard workouts has has helped with sleep. And I think more of it is just I don't have to wake up if I have to go do a run. And so that's, that's the step one, but then I had to add it back in. And so we're getting there. Yeah, no, great. And thank you. Like, honestly, thank you just for sharing all that. Because these these hurdles that you hit are real and you and it's frustrating and it it, you know nobody nobody wants to go through that this is just like this tunnel that we all go into you know and everybody's tunnel experience is different there is a light at the end of it but like it's it is it's different for everybody it's just good for people to hear this and it's it's happening for me because as a coach my journey was like at first, you know my my athletes tend to mirror myself so as I'm aging so are my 
athletes. So um, that has been interesting. And some of my athletes who've gone through menopause or perimenopause, you know, before I did, there I had a couple or one specific in in particular that was experiencing basically name them all had them all, and for me it was so hard to relate to that. I. I, I did not, of course, I believed her and I supported her, but really deep down, I was like, is that even possible that that is perimenopause? Like, that seems crazy. What else could that be? And now that I'm here, I'm like, oh yeah, here we are. I get it. Yeah. All those things. Weight gain. Yeah. All of it. So anyway, so super interesting as a coach as well to see it, not just for myself, but in my female athletes. hundred percent. So then, so then Terry, you mentioned that, you know, you were, you had changed your training, you know, and that you found that helpful. Were you part of that? And how, what did you do? And I'm pointing to Dana going, were you part of that change in the training? And what did Terry do? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it was a big change actually. So one of the things was the two of us going to the gym and learning to Olympic lift. Woo-hoo! So oh, yeah, that was good. So, um, I mean, I, look back at Terry's training and she can talk about her training before working with me, but looking at her training sort of leading up to the FKT, it was really, um, there was two longer workouts each week, but the trick on those is they were very specific. One was at least one or both were focused on Bert. And so when I say that, you know, the, the, maybe the three months at the beginning of this year, each week was like 6,500 feet of Vert. vertical gain in her training, the four months before her FKT, it was 8,700 feet of vertical gain average each week. So that's a lot, right? And we're not talking about running, right? I mean, for most people would be running. Terry's very fast hiker. She may have made it sound like not, but um, it's the kind of, I have to run behind her when she's hiking fast. So anyway, so two of those kind of longer workouts per week, and then three strength training workouts. And what I noticed was when her running sort of doubled in volume, as we got closer to the FKT, the strength training did not change. So there was three days a week of strength training that never went away. And not that she not saying that every single week she hit every single one, right? Of course, there's weeks that things happen and we have restore weeks, but she was doing in general three weeks after the Olympic lifting lasted for a while. And then we sort of changed from Olympic lifting to really focus lifting for her, which was a day that was focused on squats. So that doesn't mean only squats, but heavy squats. And then things like thrusters and we're, because she'll tell you about her FKT, but there was, you know, pulling herself up on ladders and ropes. And so of course we're going to have that upper body stuff. So anyway, so squats, but also, uh, box jumps. I don't know. I don't remember where Terry started, but, you know, doing a 24 inch box jump is like no big deal for her now. And then another day doing focused on deadlifts. And then a third day, which was doing a strength training workout at home, not at the gym. That was single leg stuff. Some more focused, more like PT, but with weights and plyometrics. So really there generally would be two days of plyometrics within those three days of the uh, workouts. And then also mobility, a mobility day. When there was speed, the speed was in strides or with like 30 second efforts. That's it. Other time we were focusing on any kind of interval that you might think of would have been hiking. 
So a workout like three by eight minutes, repeatable pace. So we want something that you can repeat because ideas, you know, you can't, if you're doing something for six days you, you can't get slower at hour four. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> <for> that. <laughs> no, you can't. So that's how the training, that's, that was the training leading up to, and you know, since January, when we started basically. Yeah. Excellent. 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 Was that radically different from what you had been doing before Cherry? 100%. I mean, I, I did not, when I first started lifting, I, I didn't even have a proper squat form. I think that the poor uh, instructor at the gym was just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, we, we've got to get your legs, you know, stable because your knees bending out and everything. So I was not in the gym at all. I would just throw volume at everything. Um, and that, cause that had been, that worked, that worked for years. Just keep, you know, just run whatever and throw volume at it and just do more and more and more and more. So when I started working with Dana, I just had to trust I was getting enough. And I, I mean, I kept thinking, this is not enough. Like, this is not enough. How, how is this going to work? You know, I don't, I don't know, like, I shouldn't I be out here like 12, 15 hours a week or something? Well, like, the funny thing is, Carrie, you were. So I was looking your weeks. Your weeks were 11 to 14 hours a week. The thing is, you might be thinking I should have been out there 11, 14 hours a week just running. Just right? running. Yes. But yeah. It was total workout volume for your working weeks were 11 to 14 hours. I understand, though. I do. I understand that mental gymnastics of I should be on, I should be on my bike for 17. And even like, even the, you know, I know it works, but there's that when, especially when you spend so many years just being like, just do more, more volume, volume. It's, it's hard to get to pull your mental space back from that. It really is. Well, what was amazing though, is as I got into the lifting and started learning how to do it and started seeing progress, I noticed the injuries that I had been dealing with for years went away. Um, I had had problems. I had some plantar in one of my feet that had ended. I'd always, whenever I tried to do speed work before I started lifting, I would have problems with my hamstrings, like high hamstring pain and stuff. And that all went away. And my actual, when I was doing intervals, those got a lot faster. So that was pretty exciting to actually see progress. And so to be able to trust that, you know, being in the gym and lifting heavy things, like it really works. Like it's not, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a, a fairy tale it you know so i'm i'm a total convert now that's awesome that is that is i love i love all of this so then let's let's bring this into this this great feat so you and stacy lee did the olympic peninsula traverse on the pacific northwest trail in washington um and you just did that in august so how is that selected and tell us like, I haven't, I don't have any idea what that is. Like, I don't know how long it is, what the terrain looks like. How did you choose it? Give us the lowdown on that. Right, well, so Stacy was the one who came to me and asked me if I would join her. Um, and she, you know, presented like it was going to be a, a fast pack, like a backpack. And so that I think was, wow, I was able to say, okay, I could do, you know, backpacking. I could do that. Like it's hiking. Um, and I knew it was it was somewhere between 168 and 190 miles. And so of course I focused on, Oh, it must be 168 miles, but it was 190. Um, <laughs> and the Pacific Northwest trail is it's similar to the Pacific crest trail, but it's much younger. So it's still in development. So part of the, the first part of the route goes down the Olympic coastline. So it's like wild coastline out there. 
and you are dealing with tides, you're dealing with headlands. So there's like these ropes that you have to climb up and over places where the ocean comes in too closely. And there's rickety ladders and all kinds of things. And you have it with all, you know, all of your equipment on your back. Um, so we went out and we worked on that section of the FKT a couple of times because we were really nervous about the tides and you know, not getting stuck. Um, so we had, to, we just had to learn how all of that worked. So there was a lot of new skill building, which was really kind of fun and exciting. Um, and then the rest of the route, we had no idea about. And what we found out after, you know, doing it, it was that um, there was long sections of road. So there was a lot of road walking, which could go like, it was like gravel roads. It could go quickly. But then a lot of the trails that we encountered up in the Olympic mountains were ones that are less used. So they were not maintained that well in a lot of sections. So we were climbing over for trees, we're, you know, cutting through brush, uh, we're like, we have videos of us where we're just kind of swimming through, through overgrown brush, and there's like uh, marmot holes beneath our feet, so we're trying not to like roll our ankles, and we're trying to find the trail, um, and we went through some burn sections and all this kind of stuff, but it was just a really mixed bag of trails, it was a little bit of everything, we went through like four ecosystems, I think, um, and yeah, it was it was a 190 mile adventure. And what was funny when we were talking about it, we were talking about training and she had made a comment to me. She said, oh, I'm looking at a 200 mile training plan, like for a 200 mile race. And I started to joke with her. I was like, what, you're going to do a 200 miler like while you're like, you know, training for this. And then it was like, oh, my God, wait a minute. Like, basically, we that's what we're training for. And that was like the moment that hit me like, oh, my God, I'm in over my head. What have I done? Um, and yeah, that was that was a really scary moment for me of I don't know if I can do this, actually. And having to trust that Dana was getting me ready and just kind of seeing what happened. So how heavy were your packs? Well, we were trying to go as lightly as possible, but I think at the heaviest, we were, I was probably around 30 pounds because mm -hmm. we had to um, have a bear vault, which is not a light piece of equipment. And then, you know, as many calories as we could. So I think I ended up with about 22 or 23,000 calories um, that I'd packed up and then just our gear. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, it definitely went down from there, but I think at its heaviest, it was 30 pounds. How did you, um, so many questions, like what, how did you determine the composition of those calories? Uh, trial and error. So um, I actually, thankfully, about three weeks before we went and did the big event, we went down to the Sierras and did a test run where we were backpacking for um, five or six nights. And I practiced, practiced, packed, you know, packing up my bear vault with the calories I wanted. Well, it ended up we were at altitude and I never really had spent that much time at altitude before and I couldn't eat. So I hated everything that I'd packed. Like, <laughs> That's all the of best it. feeling in the world. <laughs> I have been there. <laughs> I, I would just look at it like, I don't want any of this. This is, yeah, it's terrible. Um, and, you know, we ended up doing, we had to, we had to adjust our plans, but we ended up doing about a hundred miles. And I did that basically on 400 calories a day was about all I could get down. Um, so coming back, First of all, I realized, wait a minute. Okay. I just did a hundred miles on like barely any calories. So that actually was a bit of a confidence boost, even though I was really worried about how, what I was going to pack. Cause I knew I needed to do better than that if I wanted to perform well, but it was like, okay, but you can, you can withstand a lot. And then I had a much better idea of the only foods that had sound good to me. So I really went with like 
what do I think I'm going to want to eat and doing a variety of foods. Whereas the first time I had a very regimented, like, I'm going to eat this every day and this is all that there is. And then, you know, not liking any of it, it was like really difficult. So that's the approach I took, which worked out pretty well. I mean, I'm still, I would refine it if I was going to do another one. Um, But yeah, I went with the bring a lot of different types of things that I think will sound good. And I mean, it works a lot better when you're not at 10,000 feet. Like I could eat, I could eat a lot better that way. And what was that? I'm just curious, like what, what did you like to eat when you were out there? Um, Well, I had, I actually found a sweet and spicy tuna fish and Mm. a a, a tortilla was like one of my very favorite things to eat. I wish I would have brought more of that. Um, I had uh, cheese, like uh, sharp cheddar cheese sticks that we found that were delicious and amazing. Um, And I had a lot of candy and that, Actually, I had too much candy, I think, um, because I got really, really sick of candy bars. Um, But I I went really heavy on the candy and a lot of mashed potatoes. Um, I would use those in the morning and I brought broth so I could make it like kind of a drink. But one of the things that I realized as we were going, because we were pushing so hard, we'd really rarely stopped to eat. So there was times where I wanted more things um, that I could just grab and go. So um, that would be something I would do differently. Um, I used awesome sauce by spring energy that those saved me. Those saved me when I couldn't eat in the Sierras and they saved me on the trail because they just go down so easy. And that's one of my favorite, um, like save, save me type foods. Dana, were you, were you confident going into this that she was going to do it, make it? Oh yeah. So it's interesting. Coaching ultras is so nerve wracking because fitness is, one piece of, I don't know, this very big puzzle that fitness feels like sometimes a really small piece of, because you have environmental conditions, you have trail conditions, you have someone's stomach or just, you know, if it's super hot or what about if the partner isn't performing how they're hoping. So I knew that Terry was the fitness was not a problem. Not, I'm not tuning my own horn, but I know what Terry's capable of. And I know like in her head, she could do it. But I also knew that anything over, you know, 75 was going to make things really hard, especially if there wasn't a lot of water. So you mean degrees, if it got hot degrees, right? Like if it's really hot, like that's going to be hard. I've been with Terry when it says it's like slowing and slowing and slowing, you know, in, in the, in the snow, like don't even try and keep up, but you know, the sun hits and it's really changes the game. So I know that about her. So I, that, those were the things that had me worried, um, because it's just such a bigger piece. Did that come up, Terry? How did it go? Like, how was the, how did it all come out? We had record breaking heat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There was record breaking heat out there, but I have like done, you know, I've done so much now. I have learned a lot of ways uh, to manage the heat. So I was stopping and I was like taking my shirt off and putting it in the Creek and getting it completely wet, putting it back on, which then led to issues like there's so much water I had blisters on my feet and all those kind of things and chafing and I mean I had a whole host of things like I I was a I was a walking disaster but I knew all of the things and I was like I mean there was one point the last night I was hiking in my sports bra because it was still so warm um and my backpack then I was like I mean this is what you got to do um and so I think 
it just, that was a huge boost of confidence though for me. Like actually as I was going through the days and I would get through the hot periods of the days and once it cooled off, I was like, game on, let's go, you know? Um, that, yeah, it, it, I just have learned enough now to manage it. And that was like, I think one of my biggest wins out of this is knowing I was able to keep on top of that day after day and suffer through all kinds of stuff. I mean, I was, yeah, my body was a disaster when I got home. Um, I want to mention the scratch that you found sort of a couple weeks. It seems like only a couple weeks before starting the FKT and how that was a game changer. Yeah. So scratch, um, you know, the scratch drinks makes a old, like an ultra, um, super ultra fuel. sodium, super fuel. Yeah. Oh and no. So it's the sodium one. The Those sodium are two different one. things. Okay. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And so I, I used, mean. yeah, I started using the, that sodium formula. Um, and that really helped with like, you know, keeping on top, like the, with the hydration and stuff, because definitely I have problems with dehydration and I am a very salty sweater and yeah, dumping electrolytes all the time. And so, yeah, I've like learned working on all of those different pieces leading up to this. I finally have enough tools in my tool bag and I know what's happening. I mean, I had, I had a couple moments where I started to have panic attacks where, because I was tired, I was ready for sleep. And I was like, this is such a big project. Like, I don't know if I could do this. And, you know, and I would feel like, oh my gosh, I'm starting to hyperventilate. And I'm like, wait, I know what this is. And I would just be like, all right, three things I hear, three things I see, you know, just calm them back down. And uh, yeah, so that was like so exciting to go be going through this project and actually being able to know what was happening, to deal with it, to address it, and like to move through it and to know that I was actually able to keep going. Like that has been huge in my confidence. Did you, I mean, you must have slept, how long did it take you? What was your final time? And like, what does that sleep look like out there? Yeah. So it took us six days, five hours and like 31 minutes, I think. So it varied, the sleep varied from um, different days. Uh, We started off with a bang. Like we started off way ahead of what we thought we were going to do. And we had um, rented a little, uh, like a not a cabin, but a, an RV to sleep in the first night. So we had about four hours that first night. Then the second day we had some tide issues and we got caught by the tide and we ended up having to sleep, like just hang out on the beach for seven hours doing nothing, which was frustrating. Um, you know, but these are the things that you learn along the way and, and would do differently again. Um, so after that, so being behind, then we're like, all right, we're going to go all night. And so we ended up then hiking and hiking, hiking, and we did two hours of sleep after that, um, that was when we almost got, we were way out on this forest service road that looked like nobody had ever been out there. And we were like, Oh, we just, we just need to sleep. So let's just, you know, throw up our stuff. We'll just sleep. I didn't, I just used a bivy sack. I didn't even have a tent and, um, you know, we'll just sleep right here. And we looked, we're like, well, there's kind of a road there. I guess we should go off the side, like whatever. Thank goodness we did. Cause two hours later, five 30 in the morning, a car is driving out the middle of nowhere. And <laughs> we're like, all right, let's like, let's get up and go. And so we ended up going and we hiked 26 more miles before we stopped for the night. Um, but that night we were tired. So that was like a seven hour sleep. And then after that, I think we had two more four hours. And then the very last night we slept for an hour on the trail, like right on the trail. So overall, yeah, I mean, maybe we had 20 hours of sleep total for six days. Yep, Yep. It wasn't a lot. Yeah. How did, how did the ultimate reality of the experience match your expectations? 
Wow. You know, I knew it was going to be hard. I didn't know it would be quite as hard as it was. Um, it was definitely, you know, just working with somebody for six days and working out like what each of you needs and getting into very raw, real places. Um, I hadn't really, you know, thought about what that might be like. And so that was definitely, we had our moments with each other where, you know, it was just frustrating where it felt like we were speaking two different languages. Um, and so when you're already tired and you're already working hard, um, that was, that was a surprise that I didn't expect. I really just didn't think that would be something that would be an issue, which is kind of silly when you think about it, like you're doing something really hard, of course, like naturally. Um, uh, it was, I kind of, I think I went expecting that I wasn't going to finish. If I'm being honest, I really doubted myself really. Mm. I mean, even, even the first night I was like, Stacy, like, maybe I should just stop. Like you're going to do better. Like you're going to do better without me and everything. And she wouldn't let me stop. She's such a jerk. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, and, and so, yeah, I think I really expected that I wasn't going to do it. So when it was probably, it was somewhere between the third and fourth day when I realized like I can do this. Like there was, there were happy tears of like, wow, like I'm actually going to be able to do this. And so, yeah, I'd say that was, that was the difference that I, I really deep, deep down within me, I really wanted to be able to finish, but I really, I didn't think I could. That's awesome. That is really great. Yeah. And, and I, and I went to the, the page. It's interesting. You have such detailed notes about this experience. You know, it's just like, you know, you're watching dolphins while you're waiting for the tides and bear sightings and sketchy vehicles here and there. Like, when are you taking all these notes? So we actually did that right. Like when we got back, uh, we started a kind of a document together because we knew we were going to forget like really quickly. And so we just worked on it together. Like, all, what all can you remember? What can I remember? And then building off of that. And we wanted to build it that way. You know, um, our our report is a little different than what you normally see. Most people kind of do a narrative report, tends to be pretty short, but we wanted to give um, not only our experiences, but as much detail as we could for the next women that come along or the next band too. But like, we would love to see somebody come and break our record. I mean, the thing with our Women Who FKT project is we are all about educating other women and sharing resources and collaborating and cooperating. And we wanted to put all of that information out there in a way that people could see it easily. I mean, we would love to have them reach out to us, but if they feel shy about that, it's all right there. And we you know, wanted to be very open about like our challenges. And for me, you know, is managing myself throughout the whole process and, and just to acknowledge that these things happen rather than just giving a really, you know, surface report of, yeah, we went out there and it was kind of hard and then we did it, you know? And so that's why we did it that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's cool. It's a fun, it's, it's interesting to read and it does give you a very strong like sense of sort of like what it was like out there as much as it can. I mean, nothing can, can really tell you that, but you know, you, you clearly feel like both of you and your whole team feel like this, this FKT is uh, something that, that women can specifically can get a lot out of. And I'd love to hear from both of you, like why you think the FKT project is so important for women. All right. So uh, the thing that I love and feel so lucky about being a coach is I get this front row seat to someone changing. And so it's, it's, 
really not about, okay, you finished a 50 mile or a hundred miler. I mean, that's great. And I hope that you do, but what happens when you finish the 50 mile or a hundred miler is that something inside of you changes forever. And that experience then translates to other places in your life. Right. And so this same thing with doing an FKT. And so um, the beautiful thing about it is that there's, it, it is open to everyone. I mean, I'm embarrassed to think about, but at the beginning of the of the pandemic, you know, someone asked me like, oh, are you coaching people for FKTs? I was like, ah, that's only for fast people. Oh, I'm such an idiot, right? Like, that's crazy. I've never coached someone to do an FKT until this summer. And I've had five. That's like, what a change. And so that mindset of like, this is open to everyone. And then seeing what happens when someone is like, maybe I could do this. And then they do it. I mean, that's just amazing. And everyone should be able to have that experience. It's free. You know, you can go on a Monday when your kid's in school or whatever, and there's no lottery to get in the race. And I, I love that. So for me, it's just being able to make that change in yourself. And I mean, it could happen in other ways, but for people who do sports, I mean, that's just a thing that happens and it's so amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. And Terry, anything to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I think the, um, one of the cool parts about it is that I've heard it described as a race that you direct for yourself because, you know, you, you can find the route, you can go on fastest no time and find a route you want to do, but you have to figure out all the logistics. You have to figure out, you know, how you're going to fuel yourself. You have to, you know, solve all kinds of problems with RFKT. We had to learn about tides and how, you know, how to read the tide tables and how to know when to go and when not to go. Um, and so we expanded, you know, our skill set way beyond what we had before. And I don't feel like that's an opportunity that you get all that often um, in these kind of endeavors. And then like Dana said, like you don't have to be the fastest to do it. And I would argue, I mean, you know, if you found a route that you are interested in, if you go for the fastest time for yourself, even if it's not going to be enough for the, um, you know, making, getting the record, you're still going to learn something. And that was something that kind of happened early on in RFKT. I had kind of gone into it like, oh, there's no women's time. Like we can do it. Like we can do it however fast, like it doesn't really matter. And that was not Stacy's agenda at all. So all of a sudden it was like, I'm having to push myself. And, you know, I got really comfortable before not pushing myself. And I learned a lot and I'm like, I can still push myself. And I think you can do that with FKTs, you know, regardless of whether you get the record or not. And I think that's a pretty cool thing. And it's, it's a, a place you can do it too, where there's not the pressure, there's no cutoffs. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to be pulled from it. Um, so I just think it's a wonderful place for women to learn all of those skills and to, to test the waters again, when maybe it seems a little bit scary to do so. Yeah, that's awesome. I really like that. And I know, like, I even, I, there's so, I have so much rage that I even have to bring up fear in this conversation because I've enjoyed this conversation so much, but I would be remiss not to, because, you know, you have identified the women who have KT have identified that running alone, the fear of running alone, particularly in the dark or on remote trails as being a primary barrier, keeping women from, you know, training to their potential, um, what do you, what do you tell women, you know, especially like these things that come up in the news that, you know, they, they will come up and we will all get super angry and we'll all do what we can. And it's always so just lurking, you know, even after it recedes and time passes like that, it's always lurking for us. So how do you help women navigate that barrier? 
Yeah. So one thing that I'm that I appreciate for the fastest known times is that you can set a supported time and unsupported time. So one of the things that I feel like I don't know if this is real or not, but I feel like I'm seeing more women setting times together. And that feels amazing. It's not just because it's, we're lifting each other up, which of course that's amazing, but it's like bringing someone along on this attempt, maybe someone you don't know. I, I we're seeing in this project, women are like, I want to do this route. Does anyone want to join me? And so just having other people, that's great. I mean, I, I know that pe- there's something about that solo run in the woods, but I understand it's not for everyone. And, you know, then the good news is that most most of us go on a run and we come back and everything's fine. Hundred percent. These things are rare. Be yes. sure if we can post all of those times that we go for a run and we come back and everything's amazing. I think that's the biggest message. But then the other message is we can go with other people and lift each other up and bring each other along. And the more times we do that and everything goes right, then the more times you might go out by yourself because you know that you've been fine going out with your friend a million times. So I think. Um, you know, yeah. I, I try not to focus on the fear, but I know it's real. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is. And I know that people listening, I know that that is the first thing that crosses a lot of people's minds. So it's just, it's, a, it's the elephant that must be addressed in the room. Yeah. But the more times you do something, the less scary it is. Right. 100%. I mean, you know, people say like, what about bears? I'm like, I've been on trails so many times and seen like four my whole life, you know, why would I be scared of that? <laughs> so, you know, it, the, the more you do it, the less scary it is. And so I think that's like a self-fulfilling, you know, people who are like, I'm not going to go out, I'm going to stay in my treadmill. And then it feels, you know, so anyway, just getting out more, I, I think is so valuable. And the education, right? I mean, like, you know, I was just out in Montana for an event and I, I, I hear, I don't bear spray is not in my bag ever like I don't really think we I've seen bears but I like I just don't think about them the way that you do when you're in grizzly country you know and so empowering yourself with like I have the spray I know how to use the spray I know bear safety I know animal. you know I think that goes a long way too anyway you were gonna say Terry what are your thoughts on it well, I have a couple of thoughts. First of all, like we did see um, three bears during our attempt, but that was never anything that we really worried about. Um, but for me, you know, being a woman in the world is dangerous wherever we go, no matter what we do. Um, and I, like Dana, like I said, I, I think we can't get too caught up in the fear because we wouldn't end up doing anything. You wouldn't go um, to the mall. Yeah, I wouldn't even go to the mall. And like, I actually had to have a little conversation with my parents the other day, though, because every time I tell them I'm going out to do something, they'll be like, oh, my gosh, like, be safe, you know, be careful. And and they express their fear to me. And I said, you guys, like, I love you, but I want you to know I'm scared, too. Whenever I do this, I don't go out without fear. Like, that's a natural part. And I have to manage that. And I do. I'm going to do all of the things that I need to do to be safe. And I'm going to take this precaution and that precaution and all of that. But when you tell me that you're scared for me, that just adds like another barrier for me to go out there. And I really want to do these things. And so I need you, I, you know, just keep that to yourself and just know that I'm being safe. And, and I, that's been like a big realization for me. It's just that, you know, like, yeah, we do it anyway. And we just have to, we have to live with that. But I think sometimes when, when things get really blown up, um, it, it, it works against us. And, you know, like, yeah, we can, all we can do is be prepared as possible, but yeah, it's just, the reality is, yeah, we're not safe really anywhere, unfortunately. So we might as well be running if that's what brings us joy. 
Yeah, I, I I agree with that. And it's funny that you say that about your parents because I have, you know, similar, <laughs> similar things. Um, and my father and I have just settled on, tell me when you're back. Don't tell me when you're going. And so I've, you know, and that has definitely helped. Like, I'll tell him about the adventure when it's done. It's like, isn't that grand? <laughs> you know, like, tell me about the next one when you're back. <laughs> yeah, I was doing that. I was telling him after I got back and they're like, but we want you, like, we want to know before you go. I'm like, well, okay, if you're going to know before I go, this is the deal. You can't be afraid for me. Otherwise, you don't get to hear about it until I get back because I, do, I don't need that extra piece for me to worry about and maybe talk myself out of it. So, yeah, yeah. I will say the inReach has helped with partners and parents for me. I don't know why there's some sort of comfort if they see the blue dot on my inReach that makes them feel good. So maybe that's something that people who are thinking about this and keeping their loved ones feeling confident about it, having that inReach, um, and maybe they could get them to pay for the subscription. <laughs> Great idea. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Well, this has been amazing. I, you know, is there anything that you would like to say to listeners about, you know, all of this who might be intrigued and excited about it, but aren't really sure if it's for them or where to start? Do you have any like final words for the, the listeners here? Well, I would say if you are feeling a spark, if you hear something like this or any adventure where you feel that spark, like honor that spark. Because when I heard about the FKT, my first instinct was like, oh my gosh, yes, I want to do this really badly. And then all the other voices of like, you know, you can't do this. What are you thinking about? Like you're, you know, these things are wrong with you or whatever. Those all came flooding in after, but I said yes before I thought about those other things. And that made all the difference. And, you know, cause sometimes we just have to kind of go through, cause we have, you know, you get really good at telling yourself a story, but that story might not be true. And that's what I've discovered through this process was that that story I was telling myself was not that I was broken. It wasn't that something was wrong. It wasn't that I had some heart condition. It was that I was going through perimenopause and I just didn't know what that was yet. And that there were things that I could do to help with it and ways I could adjust my training and ways that I could approach this, you know, athletic endeavor that made it possible. Um, so I, yeah, just listen to the spark and go for it and see what happens. I mean, the worst thing that happens is it doesn't work out, but it's not going to work out if you don't try. Well, that's our show. Join me next week when I sit down with Zora the Explorer, Zora Benamu, who is a gerontologist, sports nutrition coach, the host of Hack My Age podcast for women over 50, and really just a thoughtful, wonderful human being. And we had a really great, deep conversation about the intersection of midlife and menopause and our best steps forward for life going forward. You won't want to miss this one. It really was just a delightful conversation. I really appreciate her. So come on back next week. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager, the show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. 
Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay feisty. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap.